0: The return. With a gentlemanly honesty which I found hard to forgive, Mr. Krolewski had informed Mother that he had taught me as much as he was able. The time had come, he thought, for me to go somewhere like England or Switzerland to finish my education. In desperation, I argued against any such idea. I said I liked being half educated. You were so much more surprised at everything when you were ignorant. But Mother was adamant. We were to return to England and spend a month or so there consolidating our position, which meant arguing with the bank, and then we would decide where I was to continue my studies. In order to quell the angry mutterings of rebellion in the family, she told us that we should look upon it merely as a holiday, a pleasant trip. We should soon be back again in Corfu. So our boxes, bags and trunks were packed. Cages were made for birds and tortoises and the dogs looked uncomfortable and slightly guilty in their new collars. The last walks were taken among the olives, the last tearful goodbyes exchanged with our numerous peasant friends, and then the cars, piled high with our possessions, moved slowly down the drive in procession, looking, as Larry pointed out, rather like the funeral of a successful rag-and-bone merchant." Our mountain of possessions was arranged in the customs shed, and Mother stood by it, jangling an enormous bunch of keys. Outside, in the brilliant white sunlight, the rest of the family talked with Theodore and Kalevsky, who had come to see us off. The customs officer made his appearance and wilted slightly at the sight of our mound of baggage, crowned with a cage from which the magan pies peered malevolently. Mother smiled nervously and shook her keys, looking as guilty as a diamond smuggler, The customs man surveyed mother and the luggage, tightened his belt, and frowned. "'These your?' he inquired, making quite sure. "'Yes, yes, all mine,' twittered mother, playing a rapid solo on her keys. "'Did you want me to um, open anything?' The customs man considered, pursing his lips thoughtfully. "'Hoff you any new clues?' he asked. "'I'm sorry?' said mother. "'Hoff you any new clues?' Mother cast a desperate glance around for Spiro. "'I'm so sorry. I I didn't quite catch... "'Hoff you! Any new clues? Any new clues?' Mother smiled with desperate charm. "'I'm sorry. I can't quite... "'The customs man fixed her with an angry eye. "'Madam,' he said ominously, leaning over the counter, "'do you speak English?' Oh, yes, exclaimed Mother, delighted at having understood him. Yes, a, a little. She was saved from the wrath of the man by the timely arrival of Spiro. He lumbered in, sweating profusely, soothed Mother, calmed the customs man, explained that we had not any new clothes for years, and had the luggage shifted outside onto the quay almost before anyone could draw breath. Then he borrowed the customs man's pieces of chalk, and marked all the baggage himself, so there would be no further confusion. "'Well, um, I won't say good-bye, but only au revoir,' mumbled Theodore, shaking hands precisely with each of us. "'I hope we shall have you back with us um, very soon.' Goodbye, "'Good-bye, fluted Kalevsky, bobbing from one person to the other. "'We shall so look forward to your return. By Jove, yes!' and have a good time. Make the most of your stay in old England. Make it a real holiday, eh? That's the ticket. Spiro shook each of us silently by the hand, and then stood staring at us, his face screwed up into the familiar scowl, twisting his cap in his huge hands. Wells, I'll say goodbyes, he began, and his voice quavered and broke, great fat tears squeezing themselves from his eyes and running down his furrowed cheeks. "'Honest to gods, I didn't mean to cry,' he sobbed, his vast stomach heaving. "'But it's just like saying goodbye to my own peoples. I feels you belongs to me.'" The tender had to wait patiently while we comforted him. Then As its engine throbbed and it drew away across the dark blue water, our three friends stood out against the multicoloured background. The tottering houses sprawled up the hillside. Theodore, neat and erect, his stick raised in grave salute, his beard twinkling in the sun. Królewski, bobbing and ducking and waving extravagantly. Spiro, barrel-bodied and scowling, alternatively wiping his eyes with his handkerchief and waving it to us. As the ship drew across the sea, and Corfu sank shimmering into the pearly heat haze on the horizon, a black depression settled on us, which lasted all the way back to England. The grimy train scuttled its way up from Brindisi towards Switzerland, and we sat in silence, not wishing to talk. Above our heads, on the rack, the finches sang in their cages, the pies chuggled and hammered with their beaks, and the lecco gave a mournful yarp at intervals. Round our feet, the dogs lay snoring. At the Swiss frontier, our passports were examined by a disgracefully efficient official. He handed them back to mother, together with a small slip of paper, bowed unsmilingly, and left us to our gloom. Some moments later, mother glanced at the form the official had filled in, and as she read it, she stiffened. Just look what he's put, she exclaimed indignantly. Impertinent man! "'Larry stared at the little form and snorted. "'Well, that's the penalty you pay for leaving Corfu,' he pointed out. "'On the little card, in the column-headed description of passengers, "'had been written in neat capitals, one travelling circus and staff.' "'What a thing to write,' said Mother, still simmering. "'Really, some people are peculiar.' "'The train rattled towards England.'